Welcome to Craftlet, the podcast for crafters who love books. My name is Heather Ordover, and I'm podcasting from my corner of the Sonoran Desert, the Old Pueblo, Tucson, Arizona. Episode 157, Smooth Operator. This episode of Craftlet is brought to you by Holiday Travel and Craftlet. Go to craftlit.com and click on the link in the upper right-hand corner for more information on our tour to London, Bath, and Wales in October 2010. Hi there. I'm late. For those of you listening in real time, I'm late getting this out. I uh, had a ridiculous deadline, plus the teaching thing, and... Actually, the ridiculous deadline turned out not to be so horrifying because life has been getting harder for freelance writers. We are being paid less and, uh, and the jobs are, are hard to find in certain fields. However, a friend of mine who is really smart and really organized has created kind of a freelancer collective. And so we were working on a project for a textbook company that had an insane deadline. And when I say insane, I'm not making this up or, you know, falling into hyperbole the way that I do sometimes. I mean insane, like we had to write lessons before they finished the textbook. That that comes across to me as kind of insane. So we, we started working on this project before Christmas and we've continued to work on it and rolling deadlines and blah, blah, blah. The upshot is that by the end of the project, it became clear that the publishing company had really underestimated how messed up their material was and therefore how much extra time it would take us to clean it up. And uh, finally, we just had to come to terms with the fact that it wasn't going to work. And we kind of just caved and said, you know what, let's send everything in the way it is on the deadline with the explanatory and we'd been telling them this was not going to work all the way along but with the explanatory that if if um if they want complete stuff they're going to actually have to give us some real stuff to work with and uh, and then we'll clean it up but that that deadline we were acting like that was a real hard deadline uh, until friday at which point i didn't have any time to podcast so so i was a good good camper. I was trying so hard to help and I found friends who could write and it was just very sad. But but it's kind of nice to be part of this studiographia collective of freelance writers because you know, if you can't get to the document you need to work on, you can email the project manager and say there's no way I'm going to get to it today. Hand it off to someone else and know that you are not in any way ruining the project by being broadsided with other stuff. And and not only that, but you're giving some work to, to other people. And, and Lord knows right now, everybody can use uh, a little income. So, so, I apologize for getting it out late. I'm going to try and get another episode out this week because we are in really interesting stuff right now. We are about to meet someone very smooth in Flatland. If you are new to Craftlit... Everything is working again now, the website and all. You can go to craftlit.com. And from that main page, you can see the most recent show notes. You can get a link to our new iPhone application. You can read a little explanatory about what Craftlit is and how it works. You can see links to our listeners' blogs and links to the books that we have listened to and read and um, and go buy them if you would like a copy at amazon.com all of that is there available for you along with a library this is a library of back episodes uh, you can download from there the mp3 files or I have fixed it so there's a little tiny player arrow next to each of those episodes so you could listen on that site as well I also have a new page up about classes and workshops I know some of you are traveling to Tucson and, and more and more are contacting me about this so I'm actually going to put up a list of what I'm teaching and when between now and May and I'm also working on a workshop idea that would take place at 
I don't know, some resort or spa somewhere in the area. It would be a craft litty kind of weekend where, you know, the husband and family can come if you are so inclined and they can go off and do all sorts of things. But you would stay and play with me and some friends in a bookish crafty way. And you certainly don't have to be a knitter for these kinds of things. It is a multi-crafty podcast. I am a multi-crafty person and there will be multi-craftiness galore. So I'm, I'm working on that and I will let you know when I have more details, but I'm very excited. Things are moving ahead with that. And on that whole multi-crafty front, I have a promo for you. Hi, I'm Nat, the host of Barkinet Podcast, a podcast about dogs, knitting, spinning, and my life. Come join me for a now weekly podcast and hear adventures in owning dogs, a dog training trip, rescued stories, and also what I'm knitting and spinning. You can find the podcast at barkinetpodcast.blogspot.com or search for Barkinet on iTunes. Have a great day. Happy knitting, spinning, dog walking, dog training, whatever you do, do it with love. So I went and listened to the latest Barkinit, and that is spelled B-A-R-K-N-K-N-I-T, all one word. I went and listened to the latest Barkinit, and I learned an interesting dog training technique that I think I actually might use on on my little pooches. Uh, I'm, the whole dog training thing is fascinating to me because... I, I can't be trained, so why why should I expect anything else to be trained? But it, we have one dog who gets sick in the car, and so the obedience classes kind of fell apart, and we didn't hire someone to come to the house to train us and the dog, because there's just no way to do that right now. But we were able to kind of transfer what my son and husband were learning with the, the dog that could go to the obedience class, transfer it to um, our other not not a puppy anymore. I'm looking at her. She is quite large. And it it's worked quite well. And they are both, uh, I think, fairly bright animals and can learn. And so I, I really do think I'm going to have my son actually listen to that part of Nat's podcast and see if we can train the dogs to touch. You know, other than touching by jumping on you and licking you and all that kind of stuff. So, there is a podcast for you. She's actually on episode 41, or I guess she's going into episode 42. So she's been doing this for a while. And, um, and if you haven't found her, you should go take a listen because uh, she does have good information for you. And it was really sweet to hear the, the rescued animal part of the show. This month, January, we have our January incentive, Enchanted Adornments. I am getting this last podcast out, squeaking it in on January 31st. So I don't know if anyone will be able to donate and be put in the running today, but there will be a new February incentive for the month of February, very short month. And uh, I will announce the winner of Enchanted Adornments on the next podcast, which will be episode 158. Can you believe it? Amazing. In my crafty life, which seemed very small and distant during this past week, but I I have many socks going, most of them just plain vanilla. I I really just needed a bunch of idiot knitting, knitting of various sizes. So different sizes of needle, different sizes of yarn. Uh, One is patterned, but the pattern is crazy easy. You don't even have to look at the pattern anymore. It's easy to memorize. And, and I, I kept wanting to get to the map of the world Afghan, but instead I spun some. When I had time that I could have gone with the map of the world, I was able to spin quite a chunk of yarn. I bought a ridiculous amount of Polworth fiber at Soar once in this lovely kind of navy blue, dark forest green, and occasional splashes of burgundy colorway. And I, I have always known that I wanted to knit a sweater out of it, and I'm very happy with that. I have now spun, oh, three, three full bobbins worth of two-ply. 
And I'm very happy with how it's come out. It's very regular. The skeins look like each other. I haven't had to try and do this before, matching skein to skein to skein to make sure that the weight doesn't change. I've been measuring my yards per pound on my McMorrin scale, and everything is looking quite quite lovely. So I'm, I'm very excited about that, but it did take me away from the map of the world Afghan. So last night I picked it back up again and I can do, it is very broad and it is intarsia. And even though I'm pretty fast at my intarsia, it still is dropping a color, picking up a color, dropping a color, picking up a color, making sure you're picking it up the right way, dropping it again, picking it all up, cutting off another yard and a half of yarn to do a little patch of a little bit of color. It, there's a lot going on, right? I can do, if we watch some TV, a movie or, or a couple of shows, Men of a Certain Age was last night. It's really lovely. I, I would listen to Andre Brower read the phone book, so I was very happy about getting to watch him for an hour. But I was able to get through about 10 rows, maybe 12 on a good night if I'm really cruising. And I'm, I'm almost done with Greenland. And when I'm done with Greenland, then it's nothing but ocean until the top tip. And then I start the next panel, the third panel. I might actually start the third panel before the Super Bowl. It's good Super Bowl knitting, just like it's good Olympic knitting. And maybe, maybe this Winter Olympics, I will actually be able to finish an entire panel. I am hopeful. I am always hopeful. And then things don't work out. And then I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> it seems it should be the other way. Maybe I should just be pessimistic all the time so I can be pleasantly surprised when things go right. That would be good. <laughs> Live in a, a negative, positive state most of the time. Ah, anyway. So I am diving into our chapters this week, partially because I need to get this episode out to you. And partially because these are really good chapters. And I am absolutely convinced that if I went back and listened to all of Flatland, I would find that I have said that for every chapter. And you're probably sitting there nodding. Yes, Heather, that's what you said. But it's true. It is true. And, and oh my goodness, did you hear the interview with Jasper Ford? I am going to link to his interview. He, he had a, a little podcasty interview with uh, some guy who interviews writers. It's what he does. He's a, a writer himself. And in Jasper Ford's interview, I kid you not, he calls Flatland the last original book and talks about how Flatland inspired his latest book, Shades of Grey. And you, have you noticed all of these references like pouring out of the woodwork? Okay, they've really been like two or three, but they're out of nowhere. People are talking about Flatland after we started listening to it. My husband says that we are the zeit of the larger geist. And I, I kind of like feeling that way. So, so congratulations and welcome to the zeitgeist. We are out there blazing trails for the rest of the world to follow. And they are following in our flatland footsteps, which are very shallow and flat. No, but today, oh, wow. Okay. So chapter 15 is called Concerning a Stranger from Spaceland. Okay, so he's just had, A-Square has just had this vision of Lineland and talking to the king of Lineland. And remember, this is all happening at the turn of the millennia, 1999. So he's, he's left this dream and he takes us into real time. And he has a, an interesting conversation with his grandson, a little hexagon. Isn't that sweet? So the little hexagon and he discuss geometry. And I'm, I'm going to try <laughs> to describe geometry to you. There are no figures in the book to help us with this. So you know that you can take um, a square, you know, write, draw a square on a piece of paper. And if you squared that, you would have a larger square with internal squares, three across and three down. And that would be nine squares on the page, right? All, all connected. It would, it would, okay, here, it would look like the side of a Rubik's cube. Three across, three down, and then the one extra in the middle, right? Nine squares. So when they talk about um, nine squares and 
the square of three, that's, that's the picture you need to get into your head. Now, for us, this next step makes sense. If you take that and you cube that, you wind up with a Rubik's cube in three dimensions. Except, of course, the good people of Flatland can't understand three dimensions any more than the king of Lineland could understand two dimensions. Any more than we, and of course this is Abbott's point, can understand four dimensions. Okay? So, the... I think, you, I think you will appreciate the conversation that happens between A-square, the grandfather, and his grandson, the hexagon, and how he responds to his grandson's brilliance. I, I just thought, oh man, that is just perfect. It's just so hilariously Victorian. And, and then, and then we, we, things start to happen. And this is a wonderfully, I think, a wonderfully dramatized section of the book, and I don't need to do a whole lot of explaining off of chapter 15, so I'm just going to toss it out there for you, and then we'll talk about chapter 16 before I play it. So, here is a little discussion of geometry. Don't be afraid. Just keep in mind the Rubik's Cube thing, you know, the flat side, and then the Rubik's Cube thing, and then, and then it'll all make sense. I'll be back in a sec. Flatland, part two, section 15. Concerning a Stranger from Spaceland From dreams I proceed to facts. It was the last day of the 1999th year of our era. The pattering of the rain had long ago announced nightfall, and I was sitting, footnote, when I say sitting, of course I do not mean any change of attitude such as you in Spaceland signify by that word, for as we have no feet, we can no more sit nor stand in your sense of the word than one of your souls or flounders. Nevertheless, we perfectly well recognize the different mental states of volition implied in lying, sitting, and standing, which are to some extent indicated to a beholder by a slight increase of luster corresponding to the increase of volition. But on this and a thousand other kindred subjects, time forbids me to dwell. End of footnote. And I was sitting in the company of my wife, musing on the events of the past and the prospects of the coming year, the coming century, the coming millennium. My four sons and two orphan grandchildren had retired to their several apartments, and my wife alone remained with me to see the old millennium out and the new one in. I was wrapped in thought, pondering in my mind some words that had casually issued from the mouth of my youngest grandson, a most promising young hexagon of unusual brilliancy and perfect angularity. His uncles and I had been giving him his usual practical lesson in sight recognition, turning ourselves upon our centers, now rapidly, now more slowly, and questioning him as to our positions. And his answers had been so satisfactory that I had been induced to reward him by giving him a few hints on arithmetic as applied to geometry. Taking nine squares, each an inch every way, I had put them together so as to make one large square with the side of three inches, and I'd hence proved to my little grandson that, though it was impossible for us to see the inside of the square, yet we might ascertain the number of square inches in a square by simply squaring the number of inches in a side. And thus, said I, we know that three squared, or nine, represents the number of square inches in a square whose side is three inches long. The little hexagon meditated on this a while and then said to me, But you have been teaching me to raise numbers to the third power. I suppose three cubed must mean something in geometry. What does it mean? Nothing at all, replied I. Not at least in geometry, for geometry has only two dimensions. And then I began to show the boy how a point by moving through a length of three inches makes a line of three inches, which may be represented by three, and how a line of three inches moving parallel to itself through a length of three inches makes a square of three inches every way, which may be represented by three squared. Upon this, my grandson, again returning to his former suggestion, took me up rather suddenly and exclaimed, 
Well then, if a point by moving three inches makes a line of three inches, represented by three, and if a straight line of three inches, moving parallel to itself, makes a square of three inches every way, represented by three squared, it must be that a square of three inches every way, moving somehow parallel to itself, but I don't see how, must make a something else, but I don't see what, of three inches every way. And this must be represented by three cubed. Go to bed, said I, a little ruffled by his interruption. If you would talk less nonsense, you would remember more sense. So my grandson had disappeared in disgrace, and there I sat by my wife's side, endeavoring to form a retrospect of the year 1999 and of the possibilities of the year 2000, but not quite able to shake off the thoughts suggested by the prattle of my bright little hexagon. Only a few sands now remained in the half-hour glass. Rousing myself from my reverie, I turned the glass northward for the last time in the old millennium, and in the act I exclaimed aloud, The boy is a fool! Straight away I became conscious of a presence in the room, and a chilling breath thrilled through my very being. He is no such thing, cried my wife, and you are breaking the commandments and thus dishonoring your own grandson. But I took no notice of her. Looking round in every direction, I could see nothing. Yet still I felt a presence, and shivered as the cold whisper came again. I started up. What is the matter, said my wife? There is no draft. What are you looking for? There is nothing. There was nothing, and I resumed my seat, again exclaiming, The boy is a fool, I say. Three cubed can have no meaning in geometry. At once there came a distinctly audible reply. The boy is not a fool, and three cubed has an obvious geometrical meaning. My wife, as well as myself, heard the words, although she did not understand their meaning, and both of us sprang forward in the direction of the sound. What was our horror when we saw before us a figure? At the first glance, it appeared to be a woman seen sideways, but a moment's observation showed me that the extremities passed into dimness too rapidly to represent one of the female sex and I should have thought it a circle, only that it seemed to change its size in a manner impossible for a circle or for any regular figure of which I had had experience. But my wife had not my experience, nor the coolness necessary to note these characteristics. With the usual hastiness and unreasoning jealousy of her sex, she flew at once to the conclusion that a woman had entered the house through some small aperture. "'How comes this person here?' she exclaimed. "'You promised me, my dear, that there should be no ventilators in our new house.' "'Nor are there any,' said I. "'But what makes you think that the stranger is a woman? "'I see by my power of sight recognition.' "'Oh, I have no patience with your sight recognition,' replied she. "'Feeling is believing, and a straight line to the touch is worth a circle to the sight.' Two proverbs very common with the frailer sex in Flatland." Well, said I, for I was afraid of irritating her, if it must be so, demand an introduction. Assuming her most gracious manner, my wife advanced toward the stranger. Permit me, madame, to feel and be felt by... Then suddenly recoiling, oh, it is not a woman, and there are no angles either, not a trace of one. Can it be that I have so misbehaved to a perfect circle? I am indeed in a certain sense a circle, replied the voice, and a more perfect circle than any in Flatland. But to speak more accurately, I am many circles in one. Then he added more mildly, I have a message, dear madame, to your husband, which I must not deliver in your presence. And if you would suffer us to retire for a few minutes, but... My wife would not listen to the proposal that our august visitor should so incommode himself and, assuring the circle that the hour of her own retirement had long passed, with many reiterated apologies for her recent indiscretion, she at last retreated to her apartment. I glanced at the half-hour glass. The last sands had fallen, 
the second millennium had begun. Alrighty, so we have had the beginning of the encounter. And isn't it lovely how the little Victorian wife scurries away, you know, no, 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 don't want to be here to listen to this, la, 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 and, uh, you know, scurries out of the room. So, this, this is where it starts to get interesting. And I need everyone to picture um, uh, a ball of yarn. This is when being a knitter really comes in handy. Okay, so you have a ball of yarn, and we're talking about like old-fashioned, my grandma taught me to wrap my balls of yarn this way, the kind of ball of yarn that if you pull on the end, it will roll across the floor because you're pulling the yarn from the outside. This is not a center pull ball or a little cake of yarn or a skein. This is, you know, the ball looks like a ball. You know from either wrapping balls like this or from wrapping rubber band balls that you can't keep wrapping in the same direction. You have to wrap one way and then you kind of turn it on its axis and wrap around and wrap. And as you wrap, you're slowly turning the ball. So it's kind of like, oh, or those uh, Christmas ornament balls that are wrapped in um, floss or in ribbon sometimes. You know, you, you keep turning the ball, rotating the ball as you go. So when the circle is saying that he's many circles in one, that was my initial image. But the way circle is actually talking about many circles in one is if you took um, a cheese slicer or a Cuisinart to a perfect circle. Initially, a Cuisinart's good. Uh, you know, you're pushing the ball down like a ping pong ball or golf ball. Golf balls are solid. As you would push the golf ball down through the blade of the Cuisinart, your first slice would be very small, very, very narrow, obviously very thin, um, and a very little tiny perfect circle. And the next one would be a slightly larger perfect circle. And the next one would be a slightly larger perfect circle. And that would continue slicing until you get to its largest width. And then it would start getting smaller again as you continue to slice the top, slice the top half of the golf ball. Okay. When the circle is talking about being made of many circles, that is what this sphere is talking about. And of course, a square really has no way to understand this and, and is having exactly the same difficulty that the King of Lineland was having. And you'll hear his frustration in the, the next chapters. Uh, not, not surprisingly, you know, any more than if we were visited by a creature from the fourth dimension, having them try to explain how to understand the fourth dimension to us would probably hurt our brains quite a bit. Now, of course, one of the problems that you may not have thought of yet that concerns Lineland and Spaceland and Flatland is interior. I mentioned a while ago that Abbott had made a, a mistake and had called a dodecagon which would be the line outline. He had called it a dodecahedron, which would be the solid of that. Well, we're in the same situation here. You know, a circle in flatland is just the outline. No one ever sees the inside or touches or knows it exists. There is no there there, but they can't see that. All they can see is the perimeter, as it were. So, hmm. <laughs> So for us, living in Spaceland, if we were to look down upon Flatland from outside the plane, we would see the outlines, as it were, of these shapes, but we would also see their insides. Now, if their insides are full of, say, a heart and intestines and ribs or what, I mean, who knows what the internal structure of a square would be, but we would be able to see that. Isn't that creepy? And, of course, the poor guys in Flatland would think that would be insane. Just like if a creature from the fourth dimension were able to see us, they could either see inside us or see our thinking or see our health. There was a, there was a fantasy novel in the early 80s where a guy who had been, someone's going to know the name of this, Lord Wolfsbane, I think, was 
the last book, but it was about a guy who was a leper, or now we say had Hansen's disease, but in the book, they, they talk about leprosy. And he winds up through an unwieldy series of events in another world. And in that world, he can see health. You can look at a tree and see its health and also see something's ill health and how it needs to be helped to become healthy again. Um, so, you know, who knows how a creature from the fourth dimension would be able to see through us. But that's, you know, that's what Abbott is is kind of after, getting getting you to think, well, gosh, you know, if if this is how we see Flatland, then how do they see, you know, how do the fourth dimensional creatures see us? So poor little A-square. This is another one of those chapters where he's written it out almost like the dialogue from a script where I, A-square, says something and then stranger says something. So it goes, I, stranger, I, stranger. This is also one of the sections that Abbott was talking about in the preface where he, he actually did go back in and rewrite a section of it to try and make more sense. But I think you will hear, there is a, a I, I think... For me, who doesn't really understand higher mathematics, there is what appears to be a, a glaring error in here, and I will leave it unnoted um, to see if um, so. You can have a chance, you know, to hear it yourself. And of course, the the PS to that is those of you who are mathematicians and really do know how this stuff works, you'll be able to tell me if it is in fact a logical fallacy. Now, during this chapter. A squared does uh, refer to a line drawing, which I will include in the show notes. And uh, I will try and also put it on, so if you're listening to a, an MP3 player or an iTunes where you can see the artwork of the podcast, I'll try and make sure that you can see it there. This is a drawing of Flatland, you know, the, the plane, and then the sphere um, descending through the sphere, and my eye is labeled, which would be a square's eye on the plane of Flatland. And this shows, in fact, what he would see as it, the sphere, it, the sphere, intersects Flatland, what we've, we've already discussed with the, the Cuisinart factor. So that will get you through this chapter. And poor, poor a square He's just having a really rough time dealing with this. You haven't really seen him start to fall apart like this before. So, this is fun. Here we go. Part 2, Section 16. How the Stranger vainly endeavored to reveal to me in words the mysteries of Spaceland. As soon as the sound of my wife's retreating footsteps had died away, I began to approach the stranger with the intention of taking a nearer view and of bidding him be seated. But his appearance struck me dumb and motionless with astonishment. Without the slightest symptoms of angularity, he nevertheless varied every instant with gradations of size and brightness scarcely possible for any figure within the scope of my experience. The thought flashed across me that I may have before me a burglar, a cutthroat, some monstrous irregular isosceles who, by feigning the voice of a circle, had obtained admission somehow into the house and was now preparing to stab me with his acute angle. In a sitting room, the absence of fog and the season happened to be remarkably dry made it difficult for me to trust to sight recognition especially at the short distance at which I was standing. Desperate with fear, I rushed forward with an unceremonious, You must permit me, sir, and felt him. My wife was right. There was not the trace of an angle, not the slightest roughness or inequality. Never in my life had I met with a more perfect circle. He remained motionless while I walked round him, beginning from his eye and returning to it again. Circular he was throughout, a perfectly satisfactory circle. There could not be a doubt of it. Then followed a dialogue which I will endeavor to set down as near as I can recollect it, omitting only some of my profuse apologies, for I was covered with shame and humiliation that I, a square, should have been guilty of the impertinence of feeling a circle. 
It was commenced by the stranger with some impatience at the lengthiness of my introductory process. Stranger, have you felt me enough by this time? Are you not introduced to me yet? I, most illustrious sir, excuse my awkwardness which arises not from ignorance of the usages of polite society, but from a little surprise and nervousness consequent on this somewhat unexpected visit. And I beseech you to reveal my indiscretion to no one, and especially not to my wife. But before your lordship enters into further communications, would he deign to satisfy the curiosity of one who would gladly know whence his visitor came? Stranger, from space. From space, sir, whence else? I... Pardon me, my lord, but is not your lordship already in space? Your lordship and his humble servant, even at this moment. Stranger, what do you know of space? Define space. I, space, my lord, is height and breadth, indefinitely prolonged. Stranger, exactly. You see, you do not even know what space is. You think it is of two dimensions only, but I have come to announce to you a third, height, breadth, and length. I, your lordship is pleased to be merry. We also speak of length and height or breadth and thickness, thus denoting two dimensions by four names. Stranger, but I mean not only three names, but three dimensions. I, would your lordship indicate or explain to me in what direction is the third dimension unknown to me? Stranger, I came from it. It is up above and down below. I, my lord means seemingly that it is northward and southward. Stranger, I mean nothing of the kind. I mean a direction in which you cannot look because you have no eye in your side. I, pardon me, my lord, a moment's inspection will convince your lordship that I have a perfect luminary at the juncture of two of my sides. Stranger, yes, but in order to see into space, you ought to have an eye not on your perimeter, but on your side, that is, on what you would probably call your inside. But we in spaceland should call it your side. I, an eye in my inside? An eye in my stomach? Your lordship jests. Stranger, I am in no jesting humor. I tell you that I come from space, or, since you will not understand what space means, from the land of three dimensions, whence I but lately looked down upon your plane which you call space, forsooth. From that position of advantage, I discern all that you speak of as solid, by which you mean enclosed on four sides. Your houses, your churches, your very chests and safes, yes, even your insides and stomachs all lying open and exposed to my view. I, such assertions are easily made, my lord. Stranger, but not easily proved, you mean. But I mean to prove mine. When I descended here, I saw your four sons, the Pentagons, each in his apartment, and your two grandsons, the Hexagons. I saw your youngest Hexagon remain a while with you and then retire to his room, leaving you and your wife alone. I saw your isosceles servants, three in number, in the kitchen at supper, and the little page in the scullery. Then I came here, and how do you think I came? I, through the roof, I suppose. Stranger, not so. Your roof, as you know very well, has been recently repaired and has no aperture by which even a woman could penetrate. I tell you, I come from space. Are you not convinced by what I have told you of your children and household? I, your lordship must be aware that such facts touching the belongings of his humble servant might be easily ascertained by anyone in the neighborhood possessing your lordship's ample means of obtaining information. Stranger, how shall I convince him? 
Surely a plain statement of facts followed by ocular demonstration ought to suffice. Now, sir, listen to me. You are living on a plane. What you style flatland is the vast level surface of what I may call a fluid on or in the top of which you and your countrymen move about, without rising above it or falling below it. I am not a plane figure, but a solid. You call me a circle, but in reality I am not a circle, but an infinite number of circles of size varying from a point to a circle of 13 inches in diameter, one placed on top of the other. When I cut through your plane, as I am now doing, I make in your plane a section, which you very rightly call a circle. For even a sphere, which is my proper name in my own country, if he manifest himself at all to an inhabitant of flatland, must needs manifest himself as a circle. Do you not remember, for I, who see all things, discerned last night the phantasmal vision of Lineland written upon your brain? Do you not remember, I say, how, when you entered the realm of Lineland, you were compelled to manifest yourself to the king, not as a square, but as a line? Because that linear realm had not dimensions enough to represent the whole of you, but only a slice or section of you. In precisely the same way, your country of two dimensions is not spacious enough to represent me, a being of three, but can only exhibit a slice or section of me, which is what you call a circle. The diminished brightness of your eye indicates incredulity, but now prepare to receive proof positive of the truth of my assertions. You cannot indeed see more than one of my sections or circles at a time, for you have no power to raise your eye out of the plain of flat land. But you can at least see that as I rise in space, so my section becomes smaller. See now, I will rise, and the effect upon your eye will be that my circle will become smaller and smaller till it dwindles to a point and finally vanishes. There was no rising that I could see, but he diminished and finally vanished. I winked once or twice to make sure that I was not dreaming. But it was no dream, for from the depths of nowhere came forth a hollow voice, close to my heart it seemed. Am I quite gone? Are you convinced now? Well, now I will gradually return to Flatland, and you shall see my section become larger and larger. Every reader in Spaceland will easily understand that my mysterious guest was speaking the language of truth and even of simplicity. But to me, proficient though I was in flatland mathematics, it was by no means a simple matter. The rough diagram given above will make it clear to any Spaceland child that the sphere, ascending in the three positions indicated there, must needs have manifested himself to me or to any flatlander as a circle, at first of full size, then small, and at last very small indeed, approaching to a point. But to me, although I saw the facts before me, the causes were as dark as ever. All that I could comprehend was that the circle had made himself smaller and vanished and that he had now reappeared and was rapidly making himself larger. When he had regained his original size, he heaved a deep sigh, for he perceived by my silence that I had altogether failed to comprehend him. And indeed, I was now inclining to the belief that he must be no circle at all, but some extremely clever juggler, or else that the old wives' tales were true, and that, after all, there were such people as enchanters and magicians. After a long pause, he muttered to himself, One resource alone remains, if I am not to resort to action. I must try the method of analogy. Then followed a still longer silence, after which he continued our dialogue. Sphere, tell me, Mr. Mathematician, if a point moves northward and leaves a luminous wake, what name would you give to the wake? I. A straight line. Sphere. And a straight line has how many extremities? I. Two. Sphere. 
Now conceive the northward straight line moving parallel to itself, east and west, so that every point in it leaves behind it the wake of a straight line. What name will you give to the figure thereby formed? We will suppose that it moves through a distance equal to the original straight line. What name, I say? I, a square. Sphere, and how many sides has a square? And how many angles? I, four sides and four angles. Sphere, now stretch your imagination a little and conceive a square in flatland moving parallel to itself upward. I, what, northward? Sphere, no, not northward, upward, out of flatland altogether. If it moved northward, the southern points in the square would have to move through the positions previously occupied by the northern points, but that is not my meaning. I mean that every point in you, for you are a square and will serve the purpose of my illustration, every point in you, that is to say in what you call your inside, is to pass upwards through space in such a way that no point shall pass through the position previously occupied by any other point, but each point shall describe a straight line of its own. This is all in accordance with analogy. Surely it must be clear to you. Restraining my impatience for I was now under a strong temptation to rush blindly at my visitor and to precipitate him into space or out of flatland anywhere so that I could get rid of him. I replied, And what may be the nature of the figure which I am to shape out of this motion which you are pleased to denote by the word upward? I presume it is describable in the language of flatland. Sphere Oh, certainly. It is all plain and simple and in strict accordance with analogy, only, by the way, you must not speak of the result as being a figure, but as a solid. But I will describe it to you, or rather not I, but analogy. We began with a single point, which, of course, being itself a point, has only one terminal point. One point produces a line with two terminal points. One line produces a square with four terminal points. Now you can yourself give the answer to your own question. One, two, four are evidently in geometrical progression. What is the next number? I. Eight. Sphere. Exactly. The one square produces a something which you do not as yet know a name for, but which we call a cube with eight terminal points. Now are you convinced? I. And has this creature sides as well as angles, or what you call terminal points? Sphere. Of course, and all according to analogy. But, by the way, not what you call sides, but what we call sides. You would call them solids. I. And how many solids or sides will appertain to this being whom I am to generate by the motion of my inside in an upward direction, and whom you call a cube? Sphere. How can you ask, and you a mathematician? The side of anything is always, if I may so say, one dimension behind the thing. Consequently, as there is no dimension behind a point, a point has zero sides. A line, if I may so say, has two sides, for the points of a line may be called by courtesy its sides. A square has four sides. Zero, two, four, what progression do you call that? I. Arithmetical. Sphere. And what is the next number? I. Six. Sphere. Exactly. Then you see you have answered your own question. The cube which you will generate will be bounded by six sides. That is to say, six of your insides. You see it all now, eh? Monster, I shrieked. Be thou juggler, enchanter, dream, or devil, no more will I endure thy mockeries. Either thou or I must perish. And saying these words, I precipitated myself upon him. End of Flatland, 
Part 2, Section 16. Don't you find it wonderful how when something starts to go wrong, <laughs> uh, the language is so elevated, it, uh, it just becomes Shakespearean drama all of a sudden. And I, I just, I get such a kick out of that. I, I really thought that was fun. So now you have, you have the poor sphere working hard trying to convince our, our little square, which is hard, obviously. Now, the, the next chapter here, um, 17, is very brief and I think has one of the most wonderful bits of business that I've seen in a while. One of the things that's interesting about the, um, the understanding, the awareness of dimensions and the fact that there might be a fourth dimension that would, I guess there's consensus that it has to have something to do with time. The obviously other branches of Victorian society would take this information and run with it. And one of the branches that ran with it were kind of the spiritualist, the, the kind of new agey thinkers of their day. And people were actually writing about this. Seriously, there's um, there's a guy named um, Hinton who wrote all sorts of books and tracts and things like that, using this idea of the fourth dimension as a way to explain where people go when they die, or um, the fact that we can be our lives can be influenced by things outside of our awareness, and so that that explains a whole host of course, of unexplainable, otherwise unexplainable phenomenon. Uh, and, you know, and then you get people like H.G. Wells who are taking these kinds of ideas and running with them in all sorts of different ways that, well, if time is the fourth dimension, then learning how to manipulate time or move ourselves through the fourth dimension, moving ourselves through time would be something that we could experiment with. It's great because Sphere has to come up with some way to make it clear and undeniable to our poor little square that, that there is, in fact, this other dimension. And you, you have to visualize, again, looking down on the plane from above for us. If we were looking down at a piece of paper and we had the line land or the flatland house drawn, you see all the lines, the little hexagon that we've, we've had as a photograph in the show notes before, the person from Spaceland is not going to see that as a solid. They're going to see it as a series of lines and something that if it were, you know, living, you could reach in and touch the middle of, whether it's their living bodies or a bedroom with a closed door, you could get into the bedroom from above because there's no roof there. The roof is actually on the plane. So here you go. This is the last chapter for today. It's so much fun. Flatland, part two, section 17. How the sphere, having in vain tried words, resorted to deeds. It was in vain. I brought my hardest angle into violent collision with the stranger, pressing on him with a force sufficient to have destroyed any ordinary circle. But I could feel him slowly and unarrestably slipping from my contact, not edging to the right or to the left, but moving somehow out of the world and vanishing to nothing. Soon there was a blank, but I still heard the intruder's voice. Sphere, why will you refuse to listen to reason? I had hoped to find in you, as being a man of sense and an accomplished mathematician, a fit apostle for the gospel of the three dimensions, which I am allowed to preach once only in a thousand years. But now I know not how to convince you. Stay, I have it. Deeds and not words shall proclaim the truth. Listen, my friend. I have told you I can see from my position in space the inside of all things that you consider closed. For example, I see in yonder cupboard near which you are standing several of what you call boxes, but, like everything else in Flatland, they have no tops nor bottoms, full of money, 
I see also two tablets of accounts. I am about to descend into that cupboard and to bring you one of those tablets. I saw you lock the cupboard half an hour ago, and I know you have the key in your possession. But I descend from space. The doors you see remain unmoved. Now I am in the cupboard, and I am taking the tablet. Now I have it. Now I ascend with it. I rushed to the closet and dashed the door open. One of the tablets was gone. With a mocking laugh, the stranger appeared in the other corner of the room, and at the same time the tablet appeared upon the floor. I took it up. There could be no doubt it was the missing tablet. I groaned with horror, doubting whether I was not out of my senses. But the stranger continued, Surely you must now see that my explanation and no other suits the phenomena. What you call solid things are really superficial. What you call space is really nothing but a great plane. I am in space and look down upon the insides of the things which you only see the outsides. You could leave this plane yourself if you could but summon up the necessary volition. A slight upward or downward motion would enable you to see all that I can see. The higher I mount, and the further I go from your plane, the more I can see, though of course I see it on a smaller scale. For example, I am ascending. Now I can see your neighbor, the hexagon, and his family in their several apartments. Now I see the inside of the theater, ten doors off, from which the audience is only just departing. And on the other side, a circle in his study, sitting at his books. Now I shall come back to you, and, as a crowning proof, what do you say to my giving you a touch? Just the least touch in your stomach. It will not seriously injure you, and the slightest pain you may suffer cannot be compared with the mental benefit you will receive. Before I could utter a word of remonstrance, I felt a shooting pain in my inside, and a demoniacal laugh seemed to issue from within me. A moment afterwards, the sharp agony had ceased, leaving nothing but a dull ache behind, and the stranger began to reappear, saying as he gradually increased in size, There, I have not hurt you much, have I? If you are not convinced now, I don't know what will convince you. What say you? My resolution was taken. It seemed intolerable that I should endure existence, subject to the arbitrary visitations of a magician who could thus play tricks with one's very stomach. If only I could in any way manage to pin him against the wall till help came. Once more I dashed my hardest angle against him, at the same time alarming the whole household by my cries for aid. I believe at the moment of my onset the stranger had sunk below our plane and really found difficulty in rising. In any case, he remained motionless, while I, hearing as I thought the sound of some help approaching, pressed against him with redoubled vigor and continued to shout for assistance. A convulsive shudder ran through this fear. This must not be, I thought I heard him say. Either he must listen to reason, or I must have recourse to the last resource of civilization. Then, addressing me in a louder tone, he hurriedly exclaimed, Listen, no stranger must witness what you have witnessed. Send your wife back at once, before she enters the apartment. The gospel of three dimensions must not be thus frustrated. Not thus must the fruits of one thousand years of waiting be thrown away. I hear her coming. Back, back, away from me, or you must go with me, whither you know not, into the land of three dimensions. Fool! Madman! Irregular! I exclaimed, Never will I release thee. Thou shalt pay the penalty of thine impostures. Ha! Is it come to this, thundered the stranger? Then meet your fate. Out of your plane you go. Once, twice, thrice, tis done. End of Flatland, Part 2, Section 17 Read by Anita Mancia
Is that not fabulous? So poor little square has been taken from flatland into spaceland. And that is where we will go in the next episode. I can't wait. Isn't it fun? I am just loving this. Ah, It's wonderful. I hope you have a great week. I will speak to you, I hope, very soon with the next installment of Flatland. Have a great one. Bye. Please remember to support the people who support Craftlit. Visit Knitting Out Loud, Listen While You Knit, and the Loop Knittery in New Zealand at loopknittery.co.nz. And please visit the blogs and sites of Craftlit supporters. Those links can be found in the sidebar of the show notes. The show notes can be found at craftlit.com. Craftlit can also be accessed by its own iPhone application. You can purchase it at the iPhone or iTouch application store, or you can subscribe free at iTunes. Craftlit is made possible by the generous support of its listeners, and for that, I am truly grateful. And remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on.